Hi, welcome to The Hammock, a podcast about software and the people who create it. This is episode two. The Hammock is a place where we'll step back from the keyboard, think through our problems, and hear about the challenges others face. In this episode, we talk to Keith Harper, a staff software engineer at Nubank. Our host, Felipe Andrade, talks with Keith about imposter syndrome, always aiming to be less wrong, and striving to be the best version of yourself. And now, Felipe and Keith. Welcome to the hammock for everyone that's listening here this podcast. Everyone is welcomed here. This is the hammock, the podcast that we have for people try to think about things important we have in the life. I think the mix of the and the life and computers. Computers try to create things that is simulated to the life, and with real conversations we can bring up this to our minds. And today, I would say for you, Keith, that's a pleasure to have you here. I know that we work together, but before you introduce yourself, I see in your LinkedIn something that took my attention. You work daily solving complex technical issues. Uh, <laughs> I'd say this is amazing. These guys make something cool. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Please introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. My name is Keith Harper. I'm a staff software engineer at Nubank, and I'm currently working on the developer success team alongside Felipe here. And yeah, we tend to work on a lot of things related to Datomic, helping other people throughout Nubank become more proficient in using Datomic, and pretty much anything else that falls under that umbrella. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure, Keith. Keith, you have, I think, almost 10 years of experience, right? Yeah, I'd say about 10 years. My background, it's my journey, I guess I should say, is a little different than I think a lot of the traditional path because the way that I started was doing technical support for a small company for computer networking type of products and then computer networking somehow making my way into the field of software engineering finding closure and datomic and then eventually make my way to new bank i got it but something took my attention here was a computer network was supporting companies with computer networking it's a cool topic about computer science for me one of the most interesting do you think that was about the, that point that you found yourself interested about computers? I've kind of always been interested in computers, even from a young age, really. But it took me a while to figure out what exactly it was that I wanted to do professionally. I knew that I liked computers and I knew I wanted it to be something with computers. But once I finally got the chance to work professionally, and start to learn a subject on a deep level, that's when I started to realize, huh, maybe this is for me. Maybe there is there's something that I could do here. Because what I found was that earlier in life, doing things like playing online video games and stuff like that forced me to learn how to learn. It was one of those things where I didn't realize that this was actually what school was trying to teach me. As silly as I may sound, I didn't realize that the purpose of school 
was to teach me how to learn and that you can figure out how to do that in many different ways. And the way that makes sense for one person may not be the same for another. For me, it was very interesting to go down that path of learning a subject on a deep level where that subject happened to be computer networking and finding that a lot of the strategies that I used to learn different subjects seemed to apply to that as well and made it to where I was able to grasp concepts that were directly related to what I was doing on a daily basis, but also start to build up a mental map of these technical concepts that you see appear in in many different areas of computing. Interesting. Before you start to learn computers, you have learned other topics. You was very curious. How was for you like start to to dig in this knowledge path? Because we live in a world with a lot of topics and a lot of topics interesting. And why in the way, like you told me, if I understood correctly, you learn it by yourself, how to learn things. And right. then with this, you realize that you could use these techniques to learn more about computer network and then learn about other topics. Right. But why in the middle of a lot of topics, you came to learn specific things that you was interested? How did you figure your interest? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't actually know, to be quite honest with you. I mean, I know, obviously, I had a purpose for learning computer networking. That purpose was, it was directly related to what I was doing on a daily basis at work. And it was also something where every person on my team had to get a certification for computer networking. And we started with the CompTIA Network Plus certification, which was not nearly as involved as some of the other ones. It was a good first step. And then from there, we had to get the CCNA, which is the Cisco Networking Associate certificate, which is really like you have to read a pretty long book. I think it's around 400 pages or so. It's pretty thick. And at the end of it, you have to take a test that checks to see, you know, did you understand what you learned? And going through that process, it was very interesting because the only other chance that I had to experience something like that was in traditional school. Except in this environment, I was free to do it however I wanted. Whatever worked for me for learning, I was free to do it because no one was there sitting with me going, you have a test coming up. You need to study this, this, and this. These sections are important. You need to review these. I didn't know. I used strategies that I learned on my own, which really, as funny as it sounds, I, le I used to learn how to play an online video game on a high level, right? Like, what are the tactics that you would use to do things in the most efficient way? And of those, which makes sense for the right context. It, it looks like that was not something planned to you. You didn't realize that you have this superpower before. Life was something that bring up by the life right. situation that make, and, it, make and actually, you. Yeah. And, and actually I struggled in traditional school. 
I ended up having to go an extra semester in high school to graduate because my grades just weren't there. And a lot of that was I wasn't connected to what I was working on at school. And I also, I just didn't seem to learn in the same way that you were expected to in a classroom environment. So yeah, it was very interesting getting to experience that. And going through that process, I realized that I could, if I was motivated enough and I cared enough about what I was doing, I could learn extremely proficiently to the extent that I was the first of, I think it was around maybe 15 or 20 employees, but I was the first one to actually finish the book, take the test and pass. And then I decided to move on to another certification just because it was like I had momentum and I was like, why would I stop here? I just made it through this book. It was something I didn't think I was able to do before. And it really gave me a a confidence that I didn't have before that. And I think that same pattern exists in many different places of taking on something that you don't think you were capable of doing and realizing that if you can break it down into smaller chunks and tackle those smaller parts, that you will come out on the other side way stronger than you were beforehand. Yeah, so it was very interesting. And going from there, I started getting interested in wireless communication because the product that we supported was a wireless router. That was the backbone of, of the company was selling a product that went into law enforcement and first responder vehicles that gave them internet communication in their vehicle, as well as GPS tracking and later on video recording capabilities. So wireless communication was a big aspect of that business because if you had interference in the vehicle with a wireless radio card, they didn't have internet or they didn't have GPS, for example. So understanding how that worked on a fundamental level was really important because when you're on a phone call with a customer, you don't want to say things that aren't based in fact. And when you're working in an area that's rich in information, it can be very difficult to have those conversations if you don't have the foundation of the fundamentals. Because then at some point, you're just kind of grasping for straws of why isn't this working instead of understanding the fundamentals and recognizing what the problem is, what the symptoms are of that problem, and trying to figure out what is the most likely thing that would be contributing to that, given all the other contexts that you know, as far as how wireless communication works. Nice. And when you're talking about uh, communication, you're talking about Wi-Fi communication or human communication. Yeah, correct. Wi-Fi communication and cellular communication, but ultimately just wireless radio waves, propagating radio waves, and what types of things can interfere with them, the wireless radio channels and the the 2.4 gigahertz band, the 5 gigahertz spectrum and the overlap that exists there, what things can interfere with those, those types of things. Yes, cool. By a moment, I make analogy with the real-life communication in a company. 
like you are trying to propagate a message and you have noise around. Right. Yeah. You need to make sure that other person can understand uh, what you say, what you said, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how do you think about this in that, this aspect? Like, can you make some analogy with your knowledge about networking with networking that we have inside a company and how you can see the communication that you need to have and the care you need to have to handle the communication in your job? I think that just like with really with a lot of things in the software engineering field, there's a lot of parallels that you see with the way that humans interact with each other and the way that we communicate with each other. You will see those same patterns emerge in the protocols that are developed for network communication. And whether now is that a result of us basing that communication in the way humans communicate, or is that the fundamental nature of communication? I'm not exactly sure, but it is interesting to see those parallels. And it's important, I think, to remember that sometimes because when you're attempting to solve a problem, the solution might be something that already exists in the real world, even in your personal life. You just have to know where to look and being able to take a step back and look from a higher level at a technical problem. You can start to see those patterns and how they might apply elsewhere too. An example of that is just the fundamental way that you communicate from a networking standpoint where you have unicast traffic going from one, one person or one machine to another, which would be like right now, right? I'm talking to you, you're talking to me. Yeah. Then you have broadcast. So I'm talking to everyone. I'm just announcing something and whoever can hear it. And in a wide crowd, let's say, then you have something like multicast and multicast is very interesting because multicast would be like a Zoom conference, for example, where maybe you have 30 people in the meeting and each of those people are communicating with everyone else. And if you want to participate in that conversation, then you can join the group. And so multicast was one of those protocols or forms of communication that I wasn't aware of until I started working with networking professionally. And like you were saying, the same patterns that you see with human communication are represented in the fundamental nature of how computers communicate with each other as well. Yes, uh, like in a group we have, I think by the description you made now, in a company we have a kind of multicast thing, right? I want to, where we have groups and they are communicating between each other, but they also are propagating communication for the groups right. inside the company. As a staff engineer, besides the communication, what do you think that's important skills to have? Important skills to have. One of the most important skills to have, and you may not need this necessarily at the staff level. Let me rephrase. This is a skill that helps regardless of the level that you're at, but it's recognizing that you cannot possibly know everything and you never will. But yeah. recognizing that you can work towards being less wrong than you were the day before. And if you can take that approach, Anything becomes possible and it's empowering because when you start to go 
down the path of how am I going to level up my skills and climb the ladder and get higher as an engineer, you inevitably reach a point where you start to take on harder and harder problems and you start interacting with people that have expertise on a deeper and deeper level. And if you haven't been able to adopt the mindset of, I don't need to be right, I just need to be less wrong, it it can become very intimidating. And imposter syndrome can set in almost inevitably because Mm -hmm. you're anytime you get put into a situation where you're out of your comfort zone, you start to feel like, well, how am I going to make sure that I don't look like a fool? No one wants to look like a fool. And keeping the mindset of, if I look like a fool, then obviously there was something to learn there, right? If I mess up, then that lets me know that there's something I could be doing better. And then taking the time to figure out, okay, well, what are those things? What could I have done differently? And what will I do differently going forward helps you not get stuck on a failure per se, but it it also is a useful skill if you are succeeding to take a look back and reflect on what it is that you do, how you do it, and why did you do it. And that allows you to act with intention. And so these are more soft skills. And this is something that continues to be something I'm working on personally, too. Because, like I said, as I've gotten further into my career, I've found that the level of freedom I have is higher. But with that freedom comes a sense of responsibility. And with that sense of responsibility comes the desire to be right unless I try to reframe it. And I've recognized that there have been times where I've had that desire to maintain an image of being right and knowing what I'm talking about. But I've also noticed that is taken away from the things that helped me get here to begin with. The mindset that you tend to be able to have when you're more junior is, I don't know everything. I need to learn this stuff. And so you're able to take the stance of, I probably don't know, and so I'm going to ask. And if I created something, I want someone to look at it. Please tell me how I can make this better, right? Like you want to get feedback. But then as you get more experienced, it can be tempting to feel like, well, I do know better. I've experienced these things. And so maybe I don't need that feedback as much, or maybe maybe I'm afraid of getting that feedback because then Someone will find out that I don't know what I'm doing nearly as well as they think I do. Or say, you know, that these like irrational fears can start to set in and adopting that mindset again of like getting back to how did you get here to begin with and keeping that in in mind can allow you to continue to grow because you're never going to be done. You're never going to reach a point where you're always right because no one is. So Those types of things I think are very important. And those, I don't think that they're talked about enough, personally. I I feel like there's a lot of focus on the hard skills. But in my experience, the hard skills are actually the easiest things to learn because it's all out there. If you want to learn it, just read the docs. Yes, something you you told, it's like about to be exposed vulnerability. It's hard sometimes, right? And In the world, I think mainly in the world of computers, when we have high egos around, 
Do you think the imposter syndrome? I would not say this question for you, but but it's based on this topic, I think it's a good thing to to explore the conversation. Mm-hmm. But what do you think about the imposter syndrome that sometimes can be a ghost and really a, a psychological problem? Do you have some opinion about that? First of all, imposter syndrome obviously is a very real thing. And I think that everyone is susceptible to it, no matter what part of your career you're at. Now, maybe it's a certain personality thing. Maybe some personalities are less susceptible than others. However, I believe that if you get, if you find yourself in a scenario where you once felt like you had a lot of expertise in something and all of a sudden you are having to acknowledge the fact that you don't know nearly as much as you thought you did, it is very easy to slip into the imposter syndrome scenario. And that's why I was bringing up keeping the mindset of being less wrong, because I think that's an antidote to it. If you can maintain a mindset of, I don't have to be right, it is so freeing, right? It's so much easier to just be, to just do what you need to do and talk to people, get the help you need to get help people. Even if you can't, if you're feeling like you are an imposter, it makes it harder to do all of those things. In fact, it makes it harder to want to do those things. And so you end up in this vicious cycle of, I could do these things to help myself get out of this. But at the same time, doing those things forces me to feel the emotions that are keeping me in this trap to begin with. And honestly, I think imposter syndrome is one of those, it is helpful to experience because what it does is it shows you where your limits are and what parts of your personality are actually holding you back that may not have been obvious before. Because the moment you're in a scenario where you're vulnerable and you're uncomfortable, all of those things start to become clear because you start to feel them on a deep level, right? Like the embarrassment, the shame, those emotions are deeply rooted within a lot of most people. And I think when you get put in a position of feeling like you should be the expert, but you are in a context where you clearly are not at that point yet, then you're subject to those feelings, right? You're at risk of feeling those negative emotions unless you have the right mindset. Yes. Something you said, you told me that was interesting that you started to say that imposter syndrome can affect anyone in any level of his career. And this is interesting because you will be, you normally, you will feel like an imposter if you don't have knowledge, right? But how do you think that a person in a high level in um, engineering could feel like an imposter? Can feel like, oh, my, my entire career was a lie. This is, so this is where it gets very interesting. When you're earlier on in your career, it is more likely that you experience imposter syndrome because you feel like you lack sufficient knowledge to operate on the same level as those around you. And I think a lot of people in the beginning of their career are susceptible to that because you just haven't had time to learn stuff yet. Of course, you're going to be behind a little bit and that's okay. But as you get further up, rather later on in your career, what ends up happening is 
there will be times where you will start to realize you don't know nearly as much as you thought. And that's because you're starting to learn all the things you didn't know. And those are starting to become visible and obvious. And when that happens, I think you can approach it one of two ways. If you feel the need to be right, then that can make you feel like, wait, I thought I was right. I thought I knew what I was talking about. And now I'm seeing that actually, if I were to be considering all of these other things, I would not be right at all, especially in most contexts of what I'm talking about. But if you instead are able to approach it from a place of, I'm becoming increasingly aware of the things I didn't know, which is going to help me be less wrong going forward and will allow me to be more specific in my answers and making sure that the answers I'm providing make sense in the context that I'm providing them in. Because I think when you don't know those things, the answers that you're able to provide can only apply to the context in which you've learned that they apply. And that may be very limited early on. And then that starts to expand. The more you learn, the deeper you get into a subject, and especially the deeper you get into learning how to learn, right? Because it starts to compound on itself. You start to learn things and become aware of things that you didn't even realize you should care about earlier in your career. At least that's been my experience. Yes. Learn how to learn is a good technique. It's a kind of furry technique, right? Because there's a technique that doesn't have a bias because you can use that for learning many things, not just one thing. When I think about a place to be like, you will be uncomfortable if you are, you don't know about your place in the universe. Every time you, you don't know what's your place. And I think you start to be uncomfortable and you will need to learn. So it's interesting because learn to learn, it's something that can help in many aspects, maybe in psychological aspects too. You learn to learn about you, you know, about yourself. And then more you know about yourself, more you will be sure about your place in the universe. And also, it helps to know what you're aiming at. And what I mean by that is, you can stumble through life and you can stumble through your career not knowing what you're aiming at. And you might eventually get to where you were hoping to get, but you are going to be doing just that, stumbling. You're going to be going in all directions and eventually, hopefully, if you're fortunate, you will find yourself in the place that you wanted to be. Maybe not, though. Maybe you find yourself in a completely different place. But if you know what you're aiming at, and more specifically, if you can recognize what type of person, both personally and professionally, you want to become, then you all of a sudden have a, you have a compass. You know what direction you're going in. And psychologically, that has a lot of benefits because that's how we're wired up, right? Like we're wired up to recognize where we want to go, find the path, the best path of how to get there and go. And that applies on a deep level when you get into complex subjects 
like what we tend to work on in the software engineering field and throughout your career. Yeah, it's very interesting how those parallels of how you can become a better person also seem to be paramount to how you can become better professionally too, because it's a deep, it's on a deep level. And so those same fundamentals seem to apply. Yes. You said something early about that you was motivated enough to get your certifications. When you told me now about duration, that immediately came to mind. And I see, oh, duration is the motivation. If you have a direction, you have a motivation to yes. succeed in something. Exactly. And what better direction than becoming the best person you could possibly become? If you have no other direction, you might. But if you have no other direction, having the direction of I want to become the best person I can is extremely empowering. Because what ends up happening is you may have a goal that you're working towards. And then you work really hard towards it. You make a lot of progress. And then hopefully you get there. You achieve that goal. But then what? All the motivation is tied up in, in seeking after goals. This is, I mean, this is just fundamentally how human, how the human brain works. We work towards a goal and all the reward that we receive really is on the journey towards that goal. And once you get there, you're satisfied, right? You're satiated. You've eaten. You're not hungry anymore because you've eaten. And it can be difficult when you get to that point because it's bittersweet almost to a certain extent. It's like, I finally did it. I finally got to where I wanted to be. But then now what? Now what are you going to do? And I think that's a common thing that happens to most people, I'm sure. Yes. You spend a whole life trying to reach a goal and then now you realize it. What's next? That thing is making me think that what matters is not to reach the goal, but the journey of learning during that path. Yes. This is a very common thing. This, mm -hmm. this is a, a very common thought. But this is true. And what I would ask you is, it's about this assume the control. Because we just have one, one life, one opportunity to make something the world. And nobody asks us to come here and make something we just appeared and then we have education in the world that says to us what we need to learn and what we need to do in a society we have different societies but sometimes this is completely abstract and could take hours to discuss this stuff but we have a kind of freedom right yes as a human and yes. this freedom we have it's something that we can choose, make choice that will impact our life. That's the point I would say that it's assume the control. Some part we need to assume the control and just go pursue our dreams. Yes. Yep. And, and I think that the only direction you can move is forward. And if you can remember that the only place that you can go is forward, it is extremely empowering because even for me personally, there can be times where I, I get into the cycle of toil of, I don't know what I want to do. And therefore I need to spend time to figure out what I want to do, but then that's hard. And so why not do this other thing that's easier for now 
and put off that hard problem. And what's interesting that I've found, at least, is that if I can maintain a mindset of the only direction that I can go is forward and the only thing that I can do is move, then it becomes easier for me to understand the deep importance of moving and having a direction. And that's where, like I said, being able to orient yourself towards the best possible thing that you could become, the best possible person, the best possible problem solver. This applies to really anything. If you can recognize what that is, then it becomes a game. When it becomes a game, it's way easier to play because you know the rules, or at least you know how to learn the rules. You know where to figure, how to figure it out. And if you don't, hopefully you have people to talk to that can help you figure out those rules, right? And so that's where having other people, having a support structure is very helpful. And that's, that's I think, here in Newbank, what is, is a huge value proposition because we have people here from all walks of life and all levels of expertise and various domains. And so if you want to become the best at something, this is a great place to do it, in my opinion. Yes. Uh, I would say that we ever have to have a mentor. Yes. And many mentors, not just one. I think maybe man, many, because we have many aspects of the life mm -hmm. to, to learn. Yes. And it, this last days I was thinking about this and then I, I really understood why people in papers or doctor thesis, they make something to thank for people that helped in this journey. Because right. really, we, we thought that people, they will never finish some job, some research, because that people are around us that make us better to move forward, that giving feedback, helping, mm -hmm. asking questions about problems, make revisions of our work, and this is awesome that I think society is better when we are working together. Absolutely. I feel like that's the goal of living, really, right? Like, why exist in a society that has all of these people if you're just going to work by yourself? Not to say that you can't just work by yourself, but you're missing out on a major part of it, right? It's like the human connection is very important. And you see this even in, in the concept of a rubber duck, the power of being able to express your thoughts out loud to someone who is listening and having that person either just listen solely or ask you clarifying questions that force you to recognize where your blind spots are. And that's only possible if you're willing to be vulnerable enough to talk about the things that matter. It all, in my opinion, comes back to having that mindset of not that I need to be right, but that I invite being wrong. I invite this, this is your mantra, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, I feel like it's had to be that because otherwise just the anxiety that can happen of talking to people, giving presentations, writing doc, like writing blog posts and stuff like that. It, the the burden of being right all the time is can just be exhausting, and 
if you can reframe that to, I invite being wrong. Please tell me how I can make this better. Please tell me where you see the holes in what I'm saying, because all that's going to do is strengthen not only what I am writing about, but me. I was listening to something, a a different podcast, where they were discussing ChatGPT and AI in general and the implications of it. And there was just this specific part of it where I think it was the host of the podcast said something interesting that we have we found is that your personality gets encoded into the things that you write. AI, to a certain extent, if it can read a corpus of documents that you have written in some abstract way, fragments of your being exist in those documents because your opinions are there. The way that you talk is there. The way you've put all the pieces together in a cohesive way exist in that document. And so it's, it's just very interesting how our personalities get encoded into the artifacts that we create. I found that insightful because it shined a light on why it is so important to write, why it's so important to contribute in some way, be it through giving talks or writing or helping others, because otherwise it's hard to see the lasting impact. You can have a lasting impact. You can make your mark no matter what that mark is simply by writing, because by writing, you are encoding your personality to a certain extent in the things that you produce. Yes. There's something I would like to discuss with you too about the community and the importance of participate and in software conference events are making contributions to open source. Recently, we had Conj in yes. North Carolina, right? And I was yeah. there. And man, it was incredible the energy that I absorbed yeah. from the environment. It's a very unique experience. It's inspiring. And mm-hmm. when I back from there, I backed a different person. <laughs> yeah. Thinking about real connections, because I think most part of connections we make sometimes is not real. Like, I, I would say in the internet in general, maybe the way that the internet evolved is not more about information and connections and growth. It's more about now about views and promotions right. instead good ideas. We can see based on the internet community in general, like in the main networks like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, mm-hmm. YouTube, maybe TikTok too, but the, the, all the content uh, is a way that you just need to open the app and yes. start receiving. Yes. It is very short-term gratification. It caters to short-term gratification. In fact, I think it's almost an engine because I've noticed this in even looking at the YouTube shorts, the speech pattern of the way that people talk in their videos is different. And it's odd. At first, when I saw it, I was like, something's weird about this. I don't know what it is. This person is talking. They're speaking very rapidly and they're speaking in a way to where it's always trailing up. Their voice is always trailing up and it's, it's not a natural way of speaking. And when I thought about it, 
I realized that what I think the purpose of that is, is to keep the part of your brain that where you get short-term gratification, to keep it constantly engaged because that's what's going to keep you watching that video long enough for you to possibly like or subscribe. And that's also why those videos are so short because that trick only works for so long, right? Eventually you're going to be like, oh, okay, I'm, never mind. I don't need this. But if it's just long enough, then you are going to stay engaged long enough for them to get the reaction that they were hoping to get from you. And I don't think that that serves us very well because I think that really trains the part of our brain that is responsible for short-term gratification. I really think that it, the things you expose yourself to shape the way you think, no matter what it is, what you expose yourself to, the things that you read, the things you watch, and some level, your brain has to align itself to the thing that you're interpreting. It only makes sense that if you expose yourself to short-term gratification catering subjects and content, then your brain, that is what's going to happen. You are, it's going to become more difficult for you to delay gratification for greater reward because you've trained yourself to always seek out the short-term gratification. That's a very vicious cycle. Yes, it's true. And then I think this is only one aspect of the impact because the other aspect is that you are not as a consumer, a mass consumer of media. You are not filtering, you are not choosing what you want to watch. It's all, everything is recommended. And this impacts in the aspect of the information because how we ensure that the recommendation of the algorithms are relevant as a humanity. And, you know, in aspect of in more philosophically thinking, if we was, we are trying to increase the information as society, right. or we are trying to increase the network. I think that the, the way that the internet evolved is much more focused on money than information, like real discussions and real conversations. For example, I was yesterday watching a video from a guy that I found in a subreddit forum and the video with very useful information for me. Mm -hmm. But the video had just third views and two likes. Do you think that video would be recommended to me by YouTube? You no. But was useful for me. So I think that the, the journey here is, is important for us as humans. Try to be actively seeking knowledge, not right. passive, not in a passive approach where we will sit down and wait for machines to say for us what we need to learn. You know? mm -hmm. That's the point. That ties back to what we were talking about earlier in this conversation. Orienting yourself in such a way that you are consciously working towards becoming the best person you can be also helps with that too. Because when everything you do becomes intentional, you act with intent, you think about what you're doing, why you're doing it, and you do things for a purpose, then all of a sudden it becomes easier to recognize when you are doing things that don't serve 
your best interest. But if you don't stop to consider that, then you can fall into that trap of just going down the rabbit hole of cat videos, for example, where that may be giving you some level of gratification in that moment. But what is that really helping you with? And what could you be doing otherwise that might be giving you some level of satisfaction, happiness, but at the same time helping you work towards something? There's almost always something you could be doing that gives you a balance of challenge and personal gratification, but also is helping you become better as a person. I think that there is. I believe there is. Yes. Well, personal gratification is interesting because, as you said, I think a personal gratification for you is to be a better person every day, right? But do you think this is or should be the goal for everyone as a human? Yeah, sure. I think if it's not, then what is? If you are on this planet and you are going to live an entire life, why wouldn't you want to become the best you could be? If not that, then what? What else would there be? I, I don't actually know. I can't think of anything else. Yes. Everything I think of kind of comes back to that. Even if you wanted to focus on watching videos about a specific video game, let's say, at a certain point, you are going to stop getting satisfaction from doing that. And so at that point, what are you going to do? Are you going to become someone who creates the videos? Because if so, then you are going down that path of, all right, well, now we need to figure out how to do this. And if you are going to do that, you might as well figure out what is the best way I could do it. Who is the person who, who I think makes the best content or does this in the best way? And how can I get to that point? I think it all comes back to that. But if you can do that on a fundamental level of what is the best I could be as a person from like a foundational standpoint, not being selfish, not being unnecessarily mean and acting in a way that's going to help not just yourself, but others, I think can give you a very fruitful life that otherwise you might just stumble into, but you might not ever find. And when I think about it, it's just like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't someone want that? I'm not sure. Yeah, but this is a kind of hungry. You are hungry about something, but I'm not sure if it's something everyone has as a general. I, I can I say if we need, we can categorize like that. Because my personal uh, experience sometimes was talking to people that say, okay, I'm fine with certain situation, mm -hmm. like comfortable. I can't imagine me like I stop in some kind of comfortable zone today. Mm -hmm. But this is a thing that I still think about this. What's good enough? What's the good enough for you? Because if you will be hungry forever, mm -hmm. you will not be satisfied at all. You will try to find more and more. And this is something that affects the world because mm -hmm. like imagine companies trying to hungry to grow and they want mm -hmm. more, more. What's the enough? What's the limit? What's the, what's the general goal? That's the thing that the general idea should be something more deeper than just yes. grow to be better. To be clear though, the growth doesn't have to be growth that is in seek of fortune and fame and money. 
the growth that I'm talking about is growing internally. And if that is your goal in life is to grow, to become the best that you can grow to, then everything else starts to fall in place. It's not a hunger for success. It's a hunger for making yourself into the best you can be. And by doing that, it really helps balance things because if you want to become the best that you can be, then first of all, you have to know what is that? Because that's the direction. And we won't get into this deeply, but I think that is what religion serves for a lot of people is giving you that direction to aim at of what is the best possible way that you could be. And that is what you aim for. And when you have something like that, and that doesn't have to be religion, that could just be what do you, if you sit down and you think, what is the best possible version of Felipe? What is the best possible version of you in terms of if you were to interact with someone, being confident, caring, compassionate, taking all of the individual attributes and figuring out, well, what does that look like at the max? What does it look like? And how can I operate in a way that gets me closer to that every single day? And so one way that, that I've found at least that you can do that is look back on the day before and recognize, well, how can I be better than that? Not how can I be better than that person? How can I be better than this other person? How can I be better than myself, the person that I was the day before? And if you just keep doing that, you can only grow. It's true. You will grow as a person. Something that's for me tricky on this is that we are trying to grow as a person, but as at least at, at a society we, we live, you right. need also make money. How you, you can balance this way of thinking and a way of operate as a mm -hmm. human? You can balance your income money uh, and then your philosophical way to, to grow as a human too. How you can balance both points to, to not have an entire life of growth internally. Like I, I'm being a better person. I'm being a better each day, but you don't need to be a good person to earn money. We can agree with this. Yes. So money is not related to be good. You can make bad things and be millionaire, but everyone needs at least to, to have some amount of money to pay a college buy a house and etc and okay. so this is why we work and we have jobs that we have received salaries or we have companies and then we sell products this will motivate us to to create this is the capitalist thing that make us to generate money back into the question how do you think that we can balance both things that evolve as a human and to be a good person and evolve ourselves every day and also earn money and be a professional how do you think you can earn money and to be a good person and to be a person that wants grow internally well i mean i think that there's some synergy there because the the goal of being the best person you can be includes getting yourself into positions that are going to enable that and so the way i look at it the way i look at life really is that it's a series of problems that you have to solve 
And ultimately, though, you need to figure out what direction are you going to go in? What is it that you are gifted in that you can bring to the world? And then from there, how can you make enough money to live comfortably in the way that you want to live? And that's going to be different for every person. But even if you consider something like a company, for example, all companies started with an idea. Someone or some group of people had an idea of some way, something that they could create or some service that they could introduce that is in theory going to make something better. And then they work towards that. And so when you go to work for a company, in some abstract way, you are saying, I believe in that idea and I'm going to help you work towards making that idea the best thing that it can be. And if that synergizes with what your direction is as a person, then you'll find yourself in a situation where you can grow, I think, rapidly because you will find yourself hopefully around like-minded people that also want to grow in those same ways. And there's some harmony there, I think, of learning how to do things in the best way possible from other people who are also seeking out how to do those same things. It's an interesting subject, right? Because everyone's journey is going to be different and life is hard. Don't get me wrong, right? Like it's life is going to be difficult no matter who you are. And I think that's just the nature of it, though. I don't, I don't think you can avoid that. But what you make out of it is up to you. And that's back to the freedom of choice thing that we all have as humans is we get to choose. Is this going to be something that strengthens me? Or is this going to be the thing that does me in? That's a little dramatic, but ultimately that's what it ends up being. For example, if you join a team and you find yourself suffering from imposter syndrome, what is that going to be for you? Is that going to be something that makes you stronger? Or is that something that's going to end your career? It's up to you. Only you can make that decision. And being able to put yourself in a growth mindset with a direction that you're working towards, I think almost inevitably sets you up to come out on the other side stronger. Because if you can reflect on why am I experiencing this? What is it really that is making me feel like this? And how can I make those things better? Then in some way, you are making yourself a better person from experiencing imposter syndrome. And I think that same pattern presents itself anytime there's some type of adversity that you're up against. Yeah. Freedom of choice is it's the most powerful thing we can have. Huge sense of responsibility too, though, right? Because if you can choose something great or something terrible, that is powerful. I mean, that is like, and that we all have that. We all, every single day, choose, are we going to do the right thing or the wrong thing? And having a set of ethics or morals that help guide you can help you make sure that you are choosing the right thing every time, hopefully. Yes. Interesting, because when we are developing software, sometimes looks that we don't have choice. Looks like we, we just need to do something. We need to achieve a goal. And then right. we find the first solution and then we implement it. And right. then some time later, it, we have a problem. 
because the solution was was not really a choice. Because for you choose, you need to choose alternatives, right? Ideally, yes. <laughs> How can Ideally, you choose who don't have alternatives? Yes. That's the thing of acting with intention. If you are intentional in the things you're doing, then you are forced to think about what you're doing, which should, in theory, force you to consider the alternatives. And it's interesting, you see those parallels in life too, where I think that what we have found, at least within our team, is that it's vitally important to consider, barely consider the alternatives and it's not even that's not even the right way to put it. It's fairly consider all possible solutions to the problem. Because when I, I hesitated, because when you say consider the alternatives, that places a lot of emphasis on there being one right solution, which I think is a fallacy. There's never one right solution. There's only one solution that's less wrong than the others. And this gets back to not needing to be right. There's always going to be some scenario, some context in which that solution is not the right solution. But how likely is that scenario to occur is the question. And so when you can consider all the criteria, all the possible scenarios, then you can hopefully find the solution that is the least wrong of all the ones you've considered. And that is powerful because if you apply that to your life as well, it opens up a lot of opportunities that you may have never considered beforehand. Yes, it's very interesting. This episode, we are making a lot of parallels and between career mm -hmm. and life. And that's, I think, the really goal here is not sit, sit down and have a conversation about a lot of technical topics, mm -hmm. but think and get something different, a different point of view at the end. This is the fundamental thing for our growth. So I agree with everything you said about growth internally and be a better and seek for improvements. And it's a very good way of live. And here in, in this team, honestly, we have this as a mantra. And I like this kind of philosophy. It's an old science of the human we question, asking questions, make clear what we are defining as a statement. This, with this, is we can make right decisions and then contribute as a group for something right. more. Have the clear goals, clear statements, clear expectations, clear decisions, and then it will. It, this set of things can help us as a company. And I, I think everything we said here again is important. It's something that not help, will help us, but I think this is some kind of things that is helping the humans for a long time already. Yes, exactly. Yes. I agree with that completely. It's interesting because I don't, you didn't, I don't think that you said this specifically, but it sounded like you were describing the Socratic method and and maybe you weren't, but if the things that you were bringing up just now are, from what I can tell, the purpose of the Socratic method, it's pursuit of the truth, where that is the goal. The goal is to uncover the truth. Now, what the truth is really depends on the context, right? Abstractly, what is the truth? And it's been interesting because that's something that we've done within our team is trying to employ the Socratic method 
almost on a daily basis, it seems like, right? And when you operate in that mode and everyone has this general agreement of you can ask questions because we are all attempting to find the solution to something where the solution is the truth. It's a very powerful thing because all of a sudden you are able to pursue things that otherwise would be not, they wouldn't be options because of the social stigma of asking those questions. When the purpose of you asking those questions is to find the best possible answer to something and not to cut down another person or to belittle them or to gain some power over them. You know, like there's power dynamics that go on in, in interactions. If those are not important, if, if those are not the things that everyone is working towards, then it opens up so many other doors that are normally just closed. And I do find that very interesting because it's something that I didn't get to experience until relatively recently in my life. But my fiance and I do the same thing, actually. If we ever get into a fight about something or an argument about something, it very quickly turns into trying to understand the root of what happened. How did we get here? How did this happen? Because fundamentally, we know that we're aligned. We know that we hold the same values and the same foundational ideas of how one should be. And so when we get into an argument about something, it's an indicator that something didn't happen that probably should have. And the focus becomes that, not I'm right or you're right. It's the focus on the truth of what is the problem? Because once we have identified that, we can now talk about how can we make sure that doesn't happen again? What solution can we implement to where that problem becomes a non-problem going forward? It's very interesting. Yes. Uh, I would say that every time I have a discussion with my wife, I would like to have this kind of, of path. But fortunately, okay. this doesn't happen. And we well, start yeah. having discussion of everything, about everything. <laughs> well, and discussion yeah. about everything, that simply you, you will never have a conclusion because yes. you, are talk, you are discussing everything. That's going to happen every once in a while. There's, there will be a period of time where emotions get in the way. And I think it's also important to still say the things that you feel like you need to say, because if you don't, you're basically just holding back. You're suppressing what you think is the truth. And I think if you operate in a mode where you're suppressing what you think is the truth, all you're doing is robbing the other person and yourself of the opportunity of growing from this. The only way you can grow from something is to work through it. And that doesn't mean it's easy. It's almost never easy. Usually it's very difficult. But I think having, if both people can have that mindset of we want to grow through this, then it becomes easier to have that conversation eventually. And when eventually is, I don't know. It just really depends on, you know, what happened. And you might have the conversation multiple times, but if you have it multiple times, what, what I found that's interesting is 
a lot of the times those conversations will end the same way. You will find yourself landing on the same conclusions and you may not make it all the way there in the conversation, especially if things are still fresh, if feelings are still hurt about something, but you'll start to see these patterns emerge and eventually it just becomes the obvious solution of if we've talked about this five different times and of all of those five times, we have talked about these one or two different things. That's an indicator that those are the things you probably need to press on the most, push on the most. And if you go deep enough, then you will uncover the root of yes. what happened. Because more often than not, just like in the software field, we're treating symptoms. We're dealing with symptoms. The reactions that you're seeing from other people are symptoms of the problem. But what is the problem is important to almost always ask, even outside of a professional context. Yes, we ever have a problem. Sometimes it's not clear. And, and sometimes also we can't have the solution in the moment that we want, right? If you have a discussion and then all the feelings are in the discussion, I think it's impossible to have a, a conversation at moments that both will really try to go deeper and, and find the problem. Sometimes you need to step away for a right. while right? and yes. then go back again to understand right. more clearly what has was happening. And that's interesting that, that you say that because I've, I've talked to you about this before, but Jordan Peterson is, is an intellectual that I listen to, have been listening to a lot lately. And one of the things that he mentioned on one of his podcasts was him and his wife have this agreement that whenever they get into a fight, it's okay to take a break and go elsewhere and cool off. But once you calm down, you have to return to the conversation. It's okay. a requirement. You have to return to the conversation because if you don't, then things just fester. I find this very interesting because these types of conflicts can happen at work too. You can have things that happen at work where maybe you say something in a group environment and it gets shut down, for example. And what are you going to do when that happens? That it's a good question because if you do nothing, then it's not like that just goes away. You can't change the past. Just like Datomic, you cannot change the past. It happened. And if that thing happened and it made you feel some way where you feel like what you're trying to get out there is being suppressed or some negative emotions are evoked from that, it's important to talk about it. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to fire back in the moment you know, and, and shut the other person back down. But what it does mean is it's important to come back to that and make sure that it's fully talked through because yes. it's the only way to maintain a healthy relationship with anyone. Yes, I, I believe it. And it's the only way also for you growth. You get a lesson, learn it from something. It's also psychologically, it has big impacts because if you're faced with a challenge and you choose to run away, meaning if you choose that challenge is not worth it. 
like you have committed to something and you've started working on it and it's too hard or you are working with someone and they say something and it upsets you and you decide, you know what, I don't care. It's not worth it. It does something in your brain to where it triggers the same emotions that you feel when you're running away from something that is going to harm you. And so it puts you into this mindset of that is too, that's dangerous. And I need to act as if it's dangerous. I need to adjust my behavior to make sure that I don't get hurt by whatever that thing is. And that is not a good path to go down. Because once you start going down that path, it can be very difficult to come back. It's the same thing that you see with kids that get bullied, for example, where Mm -hmm. it tends to be that if you can stand up to the bully, then eventually the bullying is going to stop. But if you never stand up to the bully, the only time it's going to stop is when the bully is no longer there or the bully gets bored and moves on to someone else. It's the same framework per se, where the bully is like the dragon, for example, in stories. This is, it's the same, the hero stories. And this, I think this is why these stories grip us so much and why you see them repeated time and time again with different characters. But ultimately the underlying theme of the story is the same is in life, there will be dragons and you have to decide, are you going to fight the dragon? Or are you going to run away? And if you can always make the decision to fight the dragon, you will live a life that is very fulfilling because there is a sense of accomplishment that you get, no matter what it is of working through something that is difficult and coming out stronger on the other side. Now we are defining the life like a Skyrim's game. Well, man, that's what's awesome conversation. Awesome. We didn't talk about technology. We talk about life <laughs> and oh, the life is what matters. It's interesting how you don't think of this when you get so deep down into programming per se. But if you take the hammock, hammock driven development as an example, the whole, the power of hammock driven development is it gives you time to think about how you are going to make it through. Right. It gives you time to think about what is the problem? What is the dragon? And how am I going to fight that dragon? What is the best way to do it? And normally the best way to do it is it's not always evident, right? And in the world and in your life, it tends to be that the, the best way to fight the dragon is to fight it when it's a baby. I heard this in one of the podcasts I was listening to where The best time to fight the dragon is when it's small, which means before the problem has blown up so big that it's now it's a full ground dragon and you can get burned. From a technical standpoint, there's a lot of parallels there, right? I mean, if you consider things like scaling problems, when you know that at some point in the future, this dragon is going to be so, this problem is going to be so big that it's going to burn us, then all of a sudden that turns it changes into something else. It changes into a problem that maybe you don't tackle it immediately, but it's on the radar. You're thinking about it. And by thinking about it now, in the back of your mind, you are actually doing the hammock-driven development 
thing. There are other more focused ways of applying it, but abstractly, it's the same thing. And that's why it's so important to have like the tech forum meetings that, that happen throughout Newbank where people are bringing up topics that they care about and pointing out problems that they're seeing on the horizon. And the moment that people stop pointing those things out, it's not good because all of a sudden we no longer have thousands of people looking out for each other. Now it's everyone looking out for themselves. If there's not a culture of pointing out these problems and talking about them and talking about possible solutions, it's very interesting. Like we didn't talk about technical programming or, you know, low level details, but I, I do think that all of the things that we talked about really apply on a deep level to most technical problems that we encounter. You are the specialist, right? It's, it's what's in your LinkedIn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tackling complex problems. Yes. That was something that I, when I created a LinkedIn, I was like, social media is not something I do a lot. So when I created a LinkedIn profile years ago, I had to think, I was like, okay, well, what message do I want to communicate to people? What is it that, that describes me, the essence of me? And that's what I like to think, at least, is that the thing that drives me is solving complex problems. And if I am living in the way that fulfills me the most, then I'm solving them or at least working on solving them on a daily basis. So that's how that's where that came from. Yeah, it's cool. It's a, just one phrase, simple. <laughs> and that's the life trying to, to, I think, the most elegance is when you resolve problems, complex problems with simple solutions. Yes, absolutely. Well, Keith, thank you for being here. And was awesome, as I said, I told you. And I have a lot of questions that I didn't ask you about query stats and development, technical <laughs> problems, bugs, comparison bugs. Well, thank Plus, you very much. This was very enjoyable. I love talking about this kind of stuff. So this was great. Thank you. Welcome, man. And this was the second episode. So... Thank you everyone that listened and see you later. Thank you for listening to The Hammock. Our host this week was Felipe Andrade. Production was by Felipe Andrade, Bear Cave Audio, and Jarrett Benford. I would like to remind everyone that we are hiring. Check out international.newbank.com.br slash careers for our job postings. 